Hello, assalamu alaikum and welcome to another Faith in Focus here on the Voice of Islam Radio, the program where we like to take an aspect of faith and examine it according to our everyday lives. My name is Samin Rashid Chaudhary and today we are focusing in on the sun, that celestial object or part of the universe that no one can live without. There is no doubt that the sun is important for all of us, all of earth, the animals and plants that live within. In fact, it is our position away from the sun, not too close as Mercury and not too far as the other planets, that gives earth the optimum temperatures and exposure to the sun for life here to thrive. Without the sun, there is no life on earth. Different from the moon that has been explored and landed on, the sun with its blazing heat is thus far unconquerable by humans. We cannot get near the sun due to the sheer temperatures that we cannot yet withstand. Perhaps in the future, humans will come closer and closer to the sun or understand more about it. There has been a lot of investigation into the sun and scientists have explanations for things such as the solar eclipse, something that will be looked in greater detail later on in the programme. But first let's start with what we do know and understand about the sun and beliefs on how it came about. We shall also speak on sun worship found in some ancient cultures and the prophecy of the Holy Prophet of Islam when he said that in the latter days the sun shall rise from the west. So do stay with us this hour on Faith and Focus as we look at many aspects to do with the sun. To help me explore this topic, I have two guests in the studio today, Zakia Bajwa and Tahira Jasmina Khan. Zakia has a master's in chemical engineering and is a mother of three. And Tahira is also a mother of three and a freelance interpreter in Urdu and Hindi and currently studying at Aisha Academy, which is a religious academic institution for Ahmadi Muslim women. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to you both. Wa alaikum So first, let's take a look at what is the sun? So the sun is a 4.5 billion year old star. Um, it's a hot glowing ball of hydrogen and helium at the center of our solar system. And the sun is about 93 million miles, so that's about 150 million kilometers from Earth. And without its energy, life as we know it could not exist here on our home planet. It's the largest object in our solar system. The sun's volume would need 1.3 million Earths to fill it. Its gravity holds the solar system together, keeping everything from the biggest planets to the smallest bits of debris in orbit around it. The hottest part of the sun is its core, where its temperatures top 27 million degrees Fahrenheit or 15 million degrees Celsius. This means it is hot enough to sustain nuclear fusion. This creates outward pressure that supports the star's gigantic mass, keeping it from collapsing. The sun's activity, from its powerful eruptions to the steady stream of charged particles it sends out, influences the nature of space throughout the solar system. The sun has several regions. The interior regions include the core, the radiative zone and the convection zone. Moving outward, the visible surface or photosphere is next, then the chromosphere, followed by the transition zone and then the corona, the sun's expansive outer atmosphere. Once material leaves the corona at supersonic speeds, it becomes the solar wind, which forms a huge magnetic sort of bubble around the sun, called the heliosphere. The heliosphere extends beyond the orbit of the planets in our solar system. Thus, Earth exists inside the sun's atmosphere. Outside the heliosphere is interstellar space. That's fascinating. 
And what about the structure of the sun? You mentioned that it was a ball of hydrogen and helium. Yes, yeah, so the sun doesn't have a solid surface like the Earth and other rocky planets and moons. The part of the sun commonly called its surface is the photosphere. The word photosphere means light sphere, which is apt because this is the layer that admits the most visible light. It's what we see from Earth with our eyes. Mm-hmm. And although we call it the surface, the photosphere is actually the first layer of the solar atmosphere. It's about 250 miles thick with temperatures reaching about 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit or 5,500 degrees Celsius. Um that's much cooler than the blazing core, but it's still hot enough to make carbon like diamonds and graphite not just melt but boil. Mm-hmm. Most of the sun's radiation escapes outwards from the photosphere into space. Um and the sun doesn't have moons but it's orbited by eight planets um at least five dwarf planets tens of thousands of asteroids and perhaps 3 trillion comets and icy bodies. So what can you tell us about the formation of the sun or the origins of it from a scientific perspective? So scientists have studied and concluded that the sun formed about 4.6 billion years ago in a giant um spinning cloud of gas and dust called the solar nebula. And as the nebula collapsed under its own gravity, it spun faster and flattened into a disk. Um and most of the nebula's material was pulled towards the center to form our sun, which accounts for 99.8% of our solar system's mass. Um much of the remaining material formed the planets and other objects that now orbit the sun. The rest of the leftover gas and dust was blown away by the young sun's early solar wind. Um so the sun would have been surrounded by a disk of gas and dust early in its history when the solar system was first forming 4.6 billion years ago. Some of the dust is still around today in several dust rings that circle the sun. They trace the orbits of planets whose gravity tugs dust into place around the sun. Thank you, Zakia. Now, um if we turn to some solar perspectives in in religion and look at scripture, In Hinduism, the Hindu creation narrative, for example, states that in the beginning Lord Brahma, the god of creation in Hinduism, emerged from a cosmic egg and spewed intelligence in the form of the supreme god Vishnu, whose brilliance merged with sound to create Surya. The solar god Surya therefore is identified with Lord Vishnu. The Bible mentions that God created everything in 7 days. and the sun too was created during this time although there are some questions surrounding this because if we read the account from genesis on creation the first thing it mentions is that god said let there be light but mention of the creation of the sun was not until day 3 or 4 so to reconcile this some christians say that the term for light might refer to jesus or that light was created but the sun was not completed until a few days later or that it was from another source or even from nothing as a black hole meaning it came from emptiness and some scientists in the modern day believe that light can come from empty space so there are different theories about the creation of light and what type of light it was and consequently the sun as well and when that was created um so daira if i can turn to you what does islam say about the creation um of the sun and where it came from 
The sun is mentioned many times in the Holy Quran. It is clear that according to the Quran, God created the sun. As Muslims believe, he created everything. So the sun too is part of God's creation. I have the English translation of a Quranic verse here, which is, Surely your Lord is Allah who created the heavens and the earth in six periods. Then he settled himself on the throne. He makes the night cover the day, which pursues it swiftly, and he created the sun and the moon and the stars, all made subservient by his command. Verily, he, his is the creation and the command. Blessed is Allah, the Lord of the world. Chapter 7, verse 55. So we can see that the creation of the world has been mentioned in the, in the Quran similarly to the Bible, in that there are six days or six periods of time, but we don't know how long those periods of time are. Mm. And I was reading the commentaries of some of these verses that mention the sun um, while researching with the show, and I recall that this one um, explains the idea of the creation of the sun, but also that it could not have been a day as we know it, or six days, because again, a day is 24 hours, and it is to do with the rising and the setting of the sun. So if the Quran was to mean a day in that sense, then we come across the same problem as the Bible and the creation story when it comes to sun and light. But here it means a period of time or an era which could have extended over thousands of years. The sun, as we can see from the verse, was created simultaneously, so it simply could not mean 24 hours. Yes, th uh, there is also a Quranic verse from chapter 13, verse 3, which reads, and I quote the English translation, Allah is he who raised up the heavens without any pillars that you can see. Then he settled himself on the throne, and he pressed the sun and the moon into service. Each pursues its course until an appointed term. He regulates it all. He clearly explains the signs that you may have a firm belief in the meeting with your Lord. Now, when we read the Quranic commentaries, we come to learn that the words press the sun and the moon into service mean that God has not only caused the heavenly bodies to stand without the support of pillars, but also but has also subjected them to the service of man. So these heavenly bodies, in obedience to divine laws, serve us with perfect regularity and faithfulness. It is also not up to us as humans to make these bodies, i.e. the sun and the moon, regular or useful for us, it must have been God who, ha who has made them subservient because it is something that is out of our power. Absolutely. So I suppose when we look at it this way, we can also say that the sun and the moon are signs of God's mercy and grace and his favours upon us as well. And I was reading that this is perhaps one of the meanings of the words pressed into service, this term. For example, in another verse in chapter 16, and this is because unlike for um, vegetables and animals, for example, where the Quran uses the language he has created, i.e. that God has created these things with the sun and the moon, the language is slightly different. And this could be to signify that in the case of animals and vegetables, which we use for our benefit, we also have to put in some effort to derive that benefit from them. But the advantages we get from the sun, the moon and the stars and from the alternation of day and night are completely without any effort on our part. Yes, this verse and indeed other verses in the Holy Quran that mention the sun also talk about another very important aspect. So for uh, example, in the commentary of this verse, it says, and I will quote, the night and day. 
mentioned in the clause, he makes the night cover the day, have been mentioned here as symbolizing sin and virtue. In fact, the phenomenon of sin in a perfectly order, ordered universe is explainable only by the phenomenon of night. Just as that part of the earth which is hidden from the sun is covered by darkness, similarly, when a man turns away from God, he becomes invo involved in the darkness of sin. But when he turns his face towards God, the day dawns for him and he basks in the light of truth and righteousness." End quote. I was reading that sometimes the sun is used as a metaphor or to symbolize prophets of God. Yes, and sometimes the Quran mentions the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him as well. For example, in chapter 35, we read, He merges the night into the day, and he merges the day into the night. And he has pressed into service the sun and the moon. Each one runs its course to an appointed term. Such is Allah, your Lord. His is the kingdom, and those whom you call upon beside Allah own not even of it. Now, if we look at this a commentary of this verse, we come to learn that it is talking more of just the sun and the moon. It says, and I quote, The word anhar, day, here represents prosperity and power, and alayl, night, signifies loss of these things combined with national decline and decadence. Taking the two words in this sense, the verse implies a prophecy that with the advent of the Holy Prophet, a new order will come into being. The nations which have hitherto enjoyed temporal and spiritual sovereignty will, if they rejected this message, be debased and disgraced and another people which have till now been looked down upon as scum of humanity because of their faith will be raised to the highest pinnacles of power and glory. All the forces of nature will combine to work for the success of the new order and the forces of darkness led by those whom the disbelievers call upon besides Allah will utterly fail to impede or obstruct its progress because the kingdom of the heavens and the earth is God's who has revealed the new te teachings and who is its protector and guardian. End quote. Thank you. And there is also another verse which is beautiful um, when it talks about the sun, specifically with the aspect of shade. Because, of course, when there is sun or sunlight, then that is when we get shade or shadows as well. Yes, I have heard the words you are referring to. Hast thou not seen how thy Lord lengthens the shade? And if he had pleased, he could have made it stationary. Then we make the sun a guide thereof. Chapter 24, verse 46. When we read the commentaries of this verse, we come to understand that this verse is more than just about the sun. I will just read the commentary of the Holy Quran to explain the meaning. It says, and I quote, While the preceding few verses refer to the prophetic mission of the Holy Prophet, the verse under comment speaks in figurative language of the rise, progress, power of Islam and illustrates this fact that drawing attention to a phenomenon of nature. When the sun is behind an object, its shadow lengthens. Similarly, when God is at the back of a people, their power and influence increases. The present surah was revealed at Mecca when Islam being yet in infancy, its very fate seemed to hang in the balance on account of the relentless persecution to which the weak and defenseless Muslims were subjected. 
In metaphorical language, the verse seems to warn disbelievers that the weak state of Islam should not deceive them into thinking that they would succeed in exterminating it. God is at its back, and therefore its shadow will continue to expand and extend till it would reach the ends of the earth, and nations of the world will seek and find solace and comfort under it. The sun in the verse symbolizes Islam or the Holy Prophet. In another place, the commentary talks of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and how he is mentioned in the Holy Quran as bright as the sun, which is, of course, a title for today's program. Followers of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, of course, believe in the promised Messiah on whom be peace. And the promised Messiah borrowed his spiritual light from the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. About his companions, the Holy Prophet is reported to have said, My companions are like stars. Whomsoever of them you will follow, you will get right guidance. Now elsewhere, the sun has been mentioned in the Qur'an as a lamp too, and you did mention just then that in the Holy Qur'an the sun is mentioned in conjunction with the moon as well. And in our program on the moon here on Faith and Focus, we explored the idea of the moon and the sun and also as those celestial bodies that help us chart the course of time. So on the one hand, we have the lunar months. And of course, the phases of the moon mean it is easy for everyone to know whereabouts we are in the month. And the sun, which helps us chart the day because of dawn and dusk. And again, this is something that is visible to all so we can see when a new day begins. Um, Of course, in Jewish and Islamic traditions, the day begins and ends with the sun and not necessarily at midnight because this would have been perhaps hard to determine in a time when people did not have watches or clocks. Whereas the rising and the setting of the sun would have um, and still is visible um, to, to many. So time now for a short break. Do stay with us as we continue our discussion on the importance of the sun and its effect on us as humans and planet Earth. You are listening to Faith in Focus. The Holy Prophet of Islam, peace and blessings of Allah be on him, said, Whoever relieves a believer of his worries in this world will have his afflictions removed by Allah on the Day of Judgment. You're listening to The Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Welcome back. You are listening to Faith in Focus here on The Voice of Islam Radio, where today our topic is as bright as the sun. Now, sun worship has always been something that has occurred in earlier societies and cultures. On the winter solstice or summer solstice, for example, we can see that some people engage in more rituals and practices that are centred around the sun. Many ancient cultures marked the state as significant, and the concept of sun worship is one nearly as old as humankind itself. In societies that were primarily agricultural and depended on the sun for life and sustenance, it is no surprise that the sun became deified in the past. Though I was reading the Encyclopedia Britannica, which mentioned that it is not in fact that widespread. And it says, um, and I'll quote, Although sun worship has been used frequently as a term for pagan religion, it is in fact relatively rare. 
Though almost every culture uses solar motifs, only a relatively few cultures, Egyptian, Indo-European and Mesoamerican, developed solar religions. All of these groups had in common a well-developed urban civilization with a strong ideology of sacred kingship. In all of them, the imagery of the sun as the ruler of both the upper and the lower worlds that he majestically visits on his daily round is prominent. These qualities, sovereignty, power of beneficence, justice and wisdom, are central to any elite religious group, and it is within these contexts that a highly developed solar ideology is found. Kings ruled by the power of the sun and claimed descent from the sun. Solar deities, gods personifying the sun, are sovereign and all-seeing. The sun is often a prime attribute or is identified with the supreme deity. End of quote. So we can see mention of sun worship um, can also be found in the Bible, which perhaps shows how those societies had been involved in this practice. And there is a quote from Moses on whom be peace, where he says, um, and it's in Deuteronomy, um, Deuteronomy 4, verse 19. um, And I have it here. It says, and take heed, lest you lift your eyes to heaven. And when you see the sun, the moon and the stars, all the host of heaven, you feel driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord your God has given to all the peoples under the whole heaven as a heritage. End quote. Time now for a report on sun worship read by Kutsia Ahmed. Sun worship or a sun deity can be found in ancient Egypt. The Egyptians honoured Ra, the sun god. For people in ancient Egypt, the sun was a source of life. It was power and energy, light and warmth. It was what made the crops grow each season. So it is no surprise that the cult of Ra had immense power and was widespread. Ra was the ruler of the heavens. He was the god of the sun, the bringer of light and patron to the pharaohs. According to legend, the sun travels the skies as Ra drives his chariot through the heavens. Although he originally was associated only with the midday sun, as time went by, Ra became connected to the sun's presence all day long. The Greeks honoured Helios, who was similar to Ra in his many aspects. Homer describes Helios as giving light both to gods and men. The cult of Helios celebrated each year with an impressive ritual that involved a giant chariot pulled by horses off the end of a cliff and into the sea. In many Native American cultures, such as the Iroquois and Plains peoples, the sun was recognised as a life-giving force. Many of the Plains tribes still perform a sun dance each year, which is seen as a renewal of the bond man has with life, earth, and the growing season. In Mesoamerican cultures, the sun was associated with kingship and many rulers claimed divine rights by way of their direct descendancy from the sun. As part of the cult of Mithra, early Persian society celebrated the rising of the sun each day. The legend of Mithra may well have given birth to the Christian resurrection story. Honouring the sun was an integral part of ritual and ceremony in Mithraism, at least as far as scholars have been able to determine. One of the highest ranks one could achieve in Mithraic temple was that of Heliodromus or a sun carrier. In India, at Konark in the state of Odisha, a temple is dedicated to Surya. The Konark Sun Temple has been declared a UNESCO World Heritage Site. 
Surya is the most prominent of the Navagrahas, or the nine celestial objects of the Hindus. Navagrahas can be found in almost all Hindu temples. There are further temples dedicated to Surya, one in Arasavali, Srikakulam district in Andhra Pradesh, one in Gujarat at Mudhera, and another in Rajasthan. The temple at Arasavali was constructed in such a way that on the day of Radha Suptami, the sun's rays directly fall on the feet of the Sri Suraya Narayana Swami, the deity at the temple. Hymns to the sun can be found in the Vedas, the oldest sacred texts of Hinduism. Practiced in different parts of India, the worship of the sun has been described in the Rigveda. In the state of Odisha, there is another festival called Samba Dashami, which celebrates Surya. The sun is prayed to by South Indians during the harvest festival. In Tamil Nadu, the Tamil people worship the sun god during the Tamil month of Thai, after a year of crop farming. The month is known as the harvesting month, and people pay respects to the sun on the first day of the Thai month, known as Thai Pongal, or Pongal, which is a four-day celebration. It is one of the few indigenous worships by the Tamil people, irrespective of religion. The sun is also important to Japanese mythology, and is one of the reasons why it is featured on the Japanese flag. Japan is also called the land of the rising sun. In Japanese, the country is called Nippon. Both Nippon and Japan originate from the same words. They literally mean where the sun rises. Until the 7th century, Japan was called Wa, or Yamato, using the Chinese character which has a connotation of tiny or insignificant. When the Japanese government sent a sovereign message to the Chinese government around the beginning of the 7th century, it used a term meaning the land where the sun rises. The exact phrase in the message was from the emperor of the land of the rising sun to the emperor of land of the setting sun. The Japanese government changed the country's name from Wa, Yamato, to Nippon in the early 8th century. An interesting point is that when naming the country, the Japanese took the Chinese government into consideration, possibly to show its esteem for the Chinese, as Japan is located where the sun rises for the Chinese, not for the Japanese. Thank you, Kutsia, for that report. You are listening to Faith in Focus here on the Voice of Islam Radio, where today our programme, called As Bright as the Sun, explores many aspects to do with the sun, religious, spiritual, philosophical and scientific too. Now let's move on to another phenomenon when it comes to the sun, and that is the solar eclipse. In the past, perhaps in the absence of knowledge or scientific explanation, the darkening of the sun or the sky during the day could have caused fear, uncertainty or even wonder. In any case, it might have been a startling event to say the least. Throughout history, eclipses have been seen as a disruption of the natural order and many groups have believed them to be bad omens. Many ancient and not-so-ancient peoples had spiritual explanations for solar and lunar eclipses to help them make sense of the seemingly inexplicable and random phenomena. In ancient China, um, it was commonly held belief that solar eclipses occurred when a celestial dragon attacked and devoured the sun. Chinese eclipse records are some of the oldest in the world and go back more than 4,000 years. 
at least uh, one simply states, the sun has been eaten. To frighten away the dragon and save the sun, people would bang drums and make loud noises during the eclipse. We also have um, in ancient Hindu mythology a rather graphic and disturbing explanation for solar eclipses. According to legend, a cunning demon named Rahu sought to drink the nectar of the gods and thus attain immortality. Disguised as a woman, Rahu attempted to attend a banquet of the gods and was discovered by Vishnu. As punishment, the demon was promptly beheaded and it is his decapitated head flying across the sky that darkens the sun during an eclipse. Some versions say that Rahu was actually able to steal a sip of the nectar but was beheaded before the elixir reached the rest of his body. His immortal head in perpetual pursuit of the sun sometimes catches it and swallows it but the sun quickly reappears as Rahu has no throat. Then we have the Inca of South America, um, where which worshipped Inti. And Inti is the all-powerful sun god. Inti was generally believed to be benevolent, but solar eclipses were understood to be a sign of his wrath and displeasure. Following an eclipse, spiritual leaders would attempt to divine the source of his anger and determine which sacrifices should be offered. Although the Inca rarely practiced human sacrifice, it is thought that an eclipse was occasionally deemed serious enough to do so. Fasting was also common, and the emperor would often withdraw from public duties during and following an eclipse. Um, So, Zaki, if I can turn to you, what is a solar eclipse exactly? Sure. So a solar eclipse happens when, at just the right moment, the moon passes between the sun and the earth. Sometimes the moon only blocks part of the sun's light, um, and this is called a partial solar eclipse. Other times the moon blocks all of the sun's light, and this is called a total solar eclipse. As the moon blocks the sun's light, it casts a shadow on part of the Earth. The moon's shadow creates a trail as Earth rotates. This trail is called the path of totality. If you want to experience total darkness during an eclipse, you have to be in the path of totality. In that path, the moon completely blocks the sun's light for a few minutes. It gets so dark that it looks like nighttime during a full moon. Now, there is a hadith or a tradition of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, which mentions the signs of the latter days, or um, one of the signs of the coming of the divine reformer that many Muslims are waiting for, the Imam Mahdi. And indeed, many other religious people are also waiting for a reformer or a messiah. And other scriptures too mention an eclipse as a sign of his coming. For example, in the Holy Quran it says, um, and I, I, I quote, And the moon is eclipsed, and the sun and the moon are brought together. And that's from chapter 75, verse 9 to 10. And then we have the New Testament, where Jesus, peace be upon him, narrating the signs of his second coming, said, Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light. Matthew 24, verse 29. And in the Holy Book of the Sikhs, it is written, When Maharaj will come as Nahakalank, the sun and the moon will be his helpers. In short, books of other religions also mention the signs of the sun and the moon. The Ahmadiyya Muslim community believes that this person has come and he is the founder of our community, His Holiness, Mirza Ghulam Ahmad, the promised Messiah, peace be on him. Tahira, can you tell us more? 
Hazrat Ali bin Umar al-Baghdadi al-Darqutni, an eminent authority to Hadith who lived from 1918 to 9- 995 of Christian era, 306 to 385 Hijri, had recorded the following Hadith narrated by Hazrat Imam Baqir, Muhammad bin Ali, son of Hazrat Imam Zanul Abidin, may Allah have mercy on them. For our Mahdi, there are two signs which have never appeared before since the creation of the heavens and the earth. Namely, the moon will be eclipsed on the first night in Ramadan, i.e. on the first of the nights on which a lunar eclipse can occur. And the sun will be eclipsed on the middle day, i.e. on the middle one of the days on which a solar eclipse can occur. And these signs have not, uh, not appeared since God created the heavens and the earth. These signs are mentioned in the collections of hadith of both Sunni and Shia sects. Eminent Muslim scholars have been quoting these signs in their books. And as Muslims who believe in the Messiah, we too believe that these eclipses occurred in line with the prophecy of this tradition of the Holy Prophet. Astronomers take the time of conjunction uh, as the beginning of the lunar month. At that time, the moon cannot be seen at all. The month of the Islamic calendar, Hijri, begins with the first sighting of the lunar crescent, i.e. when the face of the moon becomes big enough to be visible. If the Hijri calendar is used, the dates on which a lunar eclipse can occur are 13th, 14th and 15th, and the dates on which a solar eclipse can occur are 27th, 28th, 8th and 29th. According to the prophecy, the lunar eclipse would occur on the first night and the solar eclipse would occur on the middle day in the month of Ramadan. This fixes the 13th of Ramadan for the lunar eclipse and the 28th of Ramadan for the solar eclipse. God manifested this heavenly sign in the year 1311 Hijri, 1894 CE, when the lunar and solar eclipses occurred over Qadian in India on the specified dates of Ramadan in fulfillment of the grand prophecy of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. The lunar eclipse occurred after sunset on the 13th of Ramadan, March 21, 1894, and the solar eclipse occurred on Friday, the 28th of Ramadan, April 6, 1894. Apart from the almanacs, there were mention of the eclipses in the Indian newspapers of the time Azad and Civil and Military Gazette. Even now, the dates of the Christian era for these eclipses can be confirmed from Apolzer's Canon of Eclipses by Prof- uh, Professor T.R. von Apolzer, Dover Publication, New York, 1962, and, uh, and Nautical Almanac, London of 1894. The calculation based on the position of the moon showed that the lunar dates of the eclipses correspond to the 13th and the 28th of Ramadan. Thank you, Tahira, for that detailed answer. Um, There is another aspect or prophecy to do with the latter days. Um, In another tradition, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, mentioned 10 signs of the latter days or the last hour. And one of these is that the sun shall rise from the west. So, Zaki, if I can turn to you, what is the significance of this and is there any scientific um, explanation for this? 
Yep. As we know, the present west-to-east rotation of the Earth due to its current magnetic north and magnetic south causes the sun to appear or rise from the eastern horizon. In other words, the sun rises in the east. Uh, remarkably, scientists have discovered extensive mineral evidence proving that the Earth's magnetic poles can and indeed have reversed many times, with the last such occurrence taking place some 780,000 years ago. So in layman's terms, a compass back then would have said today's east was west and vice versa, and the same goes for north and south. So this means that rotation notwithstanding, the sun has indeed, you know, in quotes, risen from the west in the distant past. So geologists believe the next shift could be less than a thousand years away. Um, this information did not exist 1500 years ago when the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be on him, made a prophecy that seemed like a scientific impossibility. Even before these scientific discoveries, the vast majority of Muslim scholars advocated a literal interpretation of the prophecy, i.e. the sun will rise from the west in the latter days and before the last hour. In 1891, shortly after establishing the Ahmadiyya Muslim community and announcing his advent as the latter-day Messiah, His Holiness Mirza Ghulam Ahmad, peace be on him, wrote in his book, Izalaw Aham, Removal of Doubts, I certainly believe in the rising of the sun from the west that said it has been disclosed to me in a vision that the meaning of the rising of the sun from the west in that the western countries which from ancient times have been en enveloped in the darkness of disbelief and error will be illumined by the sun of truth and will partake of Islam. It is important to note that this is not a figurative or allegorical interpretation. Rather, God himself revealed this understanding of the prophecy to the promised Messiah through a vision. The promised Messiah continued, Bear in mind that I do not deny the stance that the teaching of the sun from the west may possess other meanings too. I have simply stated the above-mentioned meaning based upon the vision that God Almighty granted me. Speaking in the context of this very prophecy, in 1946, the second caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community related that according to the Holy Prophet, every chronic verse has seven intrinsic meanings. He also explained that some Muslims mistakenly believe that when a prophecy is fulfilled, all of its aspects must be fulfilled in their entirety, when this is not the case at all. In fact, there are many meanings and manifestations of the specific prophecy. One of its meaning, Heard the second caliph is that in the latter days the metaphorical sun will return from the west to the east. Another manifestation he said would be the rise of Muslim missionaries from the west itself and can be inferred from the writing of the promised Messiah and, and an explanation of the second caliph that the sun has yet to rise in its fullest sense. A day that will be marked by the people of the West entering Islam in droves. Nevertheless, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, the promised Messiah, planted the seed that is now flourishing under the guidance of his successors and the pivotal role he played in bringing Islam to the West. Thank you. Just to remind our listeners, you are listening to Faith in Focus on the Voice of Islam radio, where today our topic is As Bright as the Sun. I'm joined in the studio by Zakia Bajwa and Tahira Jasmina Khan. And so far, we have had an interesting discussion on the sun, mention of the sun in the Holy Quran and other holy scriptures, and have also heard about sun worship in the past. We have explored many religious and spiritual aspects of the sun. 
So time now to talk of the significance of the sun on all of us as humans, whatever our beliefs. So if I can turn back to you, Zakia, to give us more of an insight into the effects of the sun on us humans and the planet. After all, life on planet Earth exists because of the sun, especially when we compare our planet and the distance from the sun that allows it to be the right temperature for life to thrive and continue. So the sun is no doubt central to our existence. Absolutely, we are dependent on the sun. The sun has extremely important influences on our planet. It drives weather, ocean currents, seasons and climate and makes plant life possible. So sunlight provides necessary light and energy to plants and other producers in the food web. These producers absorb the sun's radiation and convert it into energy through a process called photosynthesis. Producers are mostly plants on land and algae in aquatic regions. Uh, They are the foundation of the food web and their energy and nutrients are passed on to every other living organism. So what about the effects of the sun on us? Too much sun or too little sun? Both can have negative and damaging effects on the human body. Yeah, absolutely. So um, first let's talk about too much sun exposure. The sun gives off rays of light that can help and harm us. These are known as ultraviolet or UV rays. Um, And there are three different types of UV rays. They are UVA, UVB and UVC. Um, UVA rays are the most common form of sun exposure. UVB rays make up less sun exposure but are more intense. And UVC rays are actually the worst. Um, And luckily we are not at risk of UVC rays. Um, The Earth's ozone layer blocks out these rays. So even though you can't see UV rays, they can go through your skin. Uh, The outer layer of skin is the epidermis. The inner layer is called the dermis. Your nerves and blood vessels are located in that dermis. And the epidermis cells contain a pigment or dye called melanin. People with lighter skin have less melanin than darker skinned people. Um, And this is why very fair skinned people burn more easily. Melanin protects our skin and also creates vitamin D. When your body defends itself against UV rays, your skin tans or darkens. Too much sun exposure allows UV rays to reach your inner skin layers. Uh, And you and I know this as sunburn. This can cause skin cells to die, become damaged or develop cancer. Skin cancer can spread to other areas in your body, especially if left untreated. Too much sun exposure can be harmful and lead to other health factors such as skin changes. So some skin cells with melanin can form a clump. This creates freckles and mold. Over time, again, these can develop cancer. Um, Another factor is early aging. So time spent in the sun makes your skin age faster than normal. Um, So signs of this are sort of wrinkled, tight or leathery skin and dark spots. Another factor is a lowered immune system. Uh, White blood cells work to protect your body. When your skin gets burnt, white blood cells help create new cells. Doing this can put your immune system at risk in other areas. Another factor is eye injury. So UV rays can damage the tissue in your eyes. They can burn your outer layer called the cornea. They can also blur your vision. Over time, you can develop cataracts. This can cause blindness if left untreated. So everyone is at risk of the effects of sun exposure. It doesn't matter how old you are or what colour your skin is. Your risk increases based on the length and depth of exposure. You're at greater risk if you have um, fair skin or moulds. And a family history of skin cancer is also a factor. People who work in the sun all day are at greater risk as well. So like farmers, construction workers and fishermen will need extra protection. Mm. 
Now, you mentioned their vitamin D, the sun vitamin, as it is often referred to. What about too little sun? Yeah, exactly. So we all need a little bit of sun. Um, Sunlight and darkness trigger the release of hormones in your brain. Exposure to sunlight is thought to increase the brain's release of a hormone called serotonin. Serotonin is associated with boosting mood and helping a person feel calm and focused. At night, darker lighting triggers the brain to make another hormone called melatonin. This hormone is responsible for helping you sleep. Without enough sun exposure, your serotonin levels can dip, and low levels of serotonin are associated with a higher risk of major depression with seasonal pattern, um, formerly known as seasonal affective disorder or SAD. This is a form of depression triggered by the changing seasons. Um, A mood boost isn't the only reason to get increased amounts of sunlight. There are several health benefits associated with catching moderate amount of rays. Decreased sun exposure has been associated with a drop in your serotonin levels, which can lead to major depression with a seasonal pattern. The light-induced effects of serotonin are triggered by sunlight that goes in through the eye. Sunlight cues special areas in the retina, which triggers the release of serotonin. So you're more likely to experience this type of depression in the wintertime when the days are shorter. Anxiety-related disorders and panic attacks have also been linked with changing seasons and reduced sunlight. Exposure to the ultraviolet B radiation in the sun's rays causes a person's skin to create vitamin D. Vitamin D is both a nutrient we eat and a hormone our bodies make. It's a fat-soluble vitamin that has long been known to help the body absorb and retain calcium and phosphorus. Both are critical for building bone. Also, laboratory studies show that vitamin D can reduce cancer cell growth, help control infections and reduce inflammation. Many of the body's organs and tissues have receptors for vitamin D, which suggests important roles beyond bone health, and scientists are actively investigating other possible functions. So very few foods naturally contain vitamin D, though some foods are fortified with the vitamin. For most people, the best way to get enough vitamin D is taking a supplement because it is hard to eat enough through food. Vitamin D supplements are available in two forms, vitamin D2, ergocalciferol, or pre-vitamin D, and vitamin D3, cholecalciferol. Both are also naturally occurring forms that are produced in the presence of the sun's ultraviolet B, or UVB, rays, hence its nickname, the sunshine vitamin. But D2 is produced in plants and fungi, and D3 in animals, including humans. Vitamin D production in the skin is the primary natural source of vitamin D, but many people have insufficient levels because they live in places where sunlight is limited in winter, or because they have limited sun exposure due to being inside much of the time. Also, people with darker skin tend to have lower levels of vitamin D because the pigment melanin acts like a shade, reducing production of vitamin yeah, reducing production of vitamin D and also reducing damaging effects of sunlight on skin, including skin cancer. Low vitamin D levels have been linked to rickets in children and bone-wasting diseases like osteoporosis and osteomalacia. So how much vitamin D do we need? So according to the NHS website, it says from about late March to early April to the end of September, the majority of people should be able to make all the vitamin D they need from sunlight on their skin. Children from the age of one year and adults need 10 micrograms of vitamin D a day. And this includes pregnant and breastfeeding women and people at risk of vitamin D deficiency. Babies up to the age of one year need 8.5 to 10 micrograms of vitamin D a day. Um, and a microgram is 1,000 times smaller than a milligram. 
The word microgram is sometimes written with the Greek symbol mu followed by the letter G, so mu G. Sometimes the amount of vitamin D is expressed as IU. One microgram of vitamin D is equal to 40 IU, so 10 micrograms of vitamin D is equal to 400 IU. So let's now talk about a more modern aspect of the sun, if you like. Perhaps it can be called modern, but actually, as Zakia, you mentioned before, the sun is our energy source and photosynthesis is the process of utilising the sun for energy, which in turn keeps us alive. And this has also been vital for the process of fossil fuels, which we have relied on for so long as a human race to power our homes, provide heat and so on. But there are increased efforts more recently to use solar power or solar energy. Absolutely. Yes, the sun has always been a source of energy. You mentioned there with photosynthesis and fossil fuels. So if I just explain that before we come onto the solar panels or harnessing solar energy. So photosynthesis is also responsible for all of the fossil fuels on Earth. Scientists estimate that about 3 billion years ago, the first producers evolved in aquatic settings. Sunlight allowed plant life to thrive and adapt. After the plants died, they decomposed and shifted deeper into the Earth, sometimes thousands of meters. This process continued for millions of years. Under intense pressure and high temperatures, these remains became what we know as fossil fuels. These microorganisms became petroleum, natural gas, and coal. People have developed processes for extracting these fossil fuels and using them for energy. However, fossil fuels are a non-renewable resource. They take millions of years to form. And so what about solar energy? Yeah, so solar energy technology harnesses the sun's radiation and converts it into heat, light or electricity. Solar energy is a renewable resource and many technologies can harvest it directly for use in homes, businesses, schools and hospitals. Some solar energy technologies include solar voltaic cells and panels, solar thermal collectors, solar thermal electricity and solar architecture. Photovoltaics use the sun's energy to speed up electrons in solar cells and generate electricity. This form of technology has been used widely and can provide electricity for rural areas, large power stations, buildings and smaller devices such as parking meters and trash compactors. The sun's energy can also be harnessed by a method called concentrated solar power, in which the sun's rays are reflected and magnified by mirrors and lenses. The intensified rays of sunlight heats a fluid, which creates steam and powers an electric generator. Solar power can also be collected and distributed without machinery or electronics. For example, roofs can be covered with vegetation or painted white to decrease the amount of heat absorbed into the building thereby decreasing the amount of electricity needed for air conditioning. This is solar architecture. Sunlight is abundant. In, in one hour, Earth's atmosphere receives enough sunlight to power the electricity needs of all people for one whole year. However, solar technology is expensive and depends on sunny and cloudless local weather to be effective. Methods of harnessing the sun's energy are still being developed and improved. Mm. Thank you for that. And that brings us to the end of our programme, As Bright as the Sun, here on The Voice of Islam Radio. My name is Samin Rashid Jodri, and I have been your writer and host for today's programme, produced by Mrs. Shermin Bhatt. I'd like to thank my guests, Zakia Bajwa and Tahira Jasmina Khan, and Kutsia Ahmad for reading our report. Till next time.